Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we get to do a special episode of Mom Mail, but um, we read through the emails that you guys send through to mombrainpod at gmail.com. And um, this time we thought we'd do something a little bit different. Instead of going question by question, we kind of bulked a bunch of them into the common themes that so many of you write in to ask about, um, about anxiety, about conceiving, about nursing and nursing bras, about formula, about all different kinds of um, moments of motherhood. So anyway, we're going to get to as many themes as we can in this episode. Yay, mommy! This is the best. So Daphne, I'm going to ask you a question that was geared towards you, but a lot of people are wondering, um, do you give your kids formula? And if so, what do you like? Oh, um, I do. I do uh, transition to formula when my kids are off breast milk. And um, I will be honest with you, I've done a bit of research on this because I think that, um, you know, it's, it's always sort of like finding the right balance of what, um, what you care about and what you can find. And the, the reality is I think that they're all pretty much on par, but the one that I go for is something called hall. It's H O L L E. And I get it. Um, I get it shipped to me. I get it, you know, in bulk. It's, it's, I think from Germany, definitely from the EU and it's, it's just a brand that I think has, you know, they they talk about like their happy cows. Actually, I get a goat milk one. So they're happy goats that are like, you know, grazing in the hills of Switzerland and all that. They just seem like very happy animals. Um, but they they go to great lengths to make sure that sugar and, and corn syrup are not the first ingredients and in some cases not present at all. They, um, you know, they really hold to the utmost standards of of natural and um, and wholesome foods in in the formula. And then what I also do is I'll supplement with a baby DHA. So a lot of times, and this maybe is more details than people want, you should definitely do your own research. This is what has worked for my family. And, um, and you know, there are tons of different considerations to take into account. But I do add a baby DHA that is, um, it's literally called baby DHA. I think it's from Nordic Naturals. And it is great for baby brain development and eye development. It has those healthy fats that are present in breast milk that, um, you know, you definitely want to make sure uh, your baby's getting plenty of um, while, you know, while they're still in that that first year of life and, and beyond. All my kids take DHA, actually. Uh, How long do you give them formula? Is it until they're a year or do exactly you do it? Okay, because exactly I know that some people do t- two years. I don't do two years. And I'll tell you why. Like I, you know, I think, look. Formula is an amazing insurance policy if you want to continue on past a year because, look, a lot of kids don't eat well or don't eat enough. And it's a it's really nice to know they're getting all the nutrition that they theoretically need from this, you know, from this drink. But um, my kids are, have all been knockwood, pretty good eaters. And 
are all really interested in food really early on. Like, like Gigi is not even six months and she's about to be six months and she's already like trying to grab <laughs> everything that's in front of her siblings plates. And, um, and they, you know, they're really o- uh, eager and interested in, in foods. And my hope is I don't even actually, like, I know a lot of people, once they finish formula, they go on to some kind of either dairy milk or, or non-dairy milk alternative to put in their baby's bottles and to, and to, into sippy cups just to continue, um, sort of like the liquid nutrition as well. And I, I really haven't even ever done that. I'll tell you, I, it's weird how like different pieces of motherhood advice stick with you. Someone very early on, I think when I was pregnant with Philomena told me the one piece of advice that she'd gotten was to take your babies off of bottles at a year. Um, because it just like, it will, it will make the, the more, the more accustomed they get to needing a bottle to go to sleep. And there's all this, like, you know, tons of dentists and pediatricians will tell you it's like bad for babies to fall asleep with milk in their mouth. And they, you know, they could choke or it's bad for their teeth developments, all kinds of stuff. But for me, ear infections, ear infections, but it's also just like, you don't want your baby to form habits that are then much more difficult and traumatic to have to break with them of like, getting a bottle before bed is if that's their habit after, you know, 18 months, 20 months, 24 months, they've got real memory. They can, rem- you know, it's right. much harder to get them to forget like, that they ever uh, had that. Excuse me, waiter. Yeah, literally. Waiter. Um, <laughs> could you warm this up, please? So I, my babies are are pretty much done with bottles, except for John who like held what do you, out for What a do you transition time. them to? I transition mine to the Nook. The sippy cups. Um, sippy cups. Mm-hmm. And I just, so Romeo this past, I think a month ago, just finished my, I had breast milk stored up. Um, I stopped breastfeeding him at a year because that was when I was having my miscarriage and it just ended up being too much on my body. But I had a ton of milk um, stored up, so he just finished drinking it. But he was – I was doing that thing exactly what you're talking about where I was giving him breast uh, breast milk in a bottle right yeah. before bed. Yeah. And he calls it leche. He goes, eche, eche, eche. And for the – like – for like weeks, I would give him a sippy cup with water and he's Not like literally same. looking at this because I started same. giving him, I don't feed my kids dairy. So I started feeding, um, giving him hemp milk, which I like a lot. And I did tons of research on what I think are, are good non-dairy milks. Um, but then I started realizing, you know what? I am doing that thing. I'm going to perpetuate the problem. And so I'm going to go to water, which all of my kids have water bottled yeah. by, by their bed. Um, and he was just like, what is this? Like, where is my itching? Where's my eche? Where's my but no, my my kids are like me. They get thirsty in the night. And so they all do have those um like little thermoses of water. Mm-hmm. But I just I you know I I I again, like it's such a personal choice. And I really do think that this was just one thing that someone told me that just has made my life easier as a mom to not have this one habit that I felt like would be traumatic to break with them. So anyway, it's worked. But I but honestly, the the formula conversation is a really interesting one because there is a lot of confusing information out there. And when I did my deep dive, what I came out with was that I thought that the Holly brand ones were the were were on top for me. And um, and the kids have all responded really well to them. And, you know, like this is maybe TMI, but one of the ways that I gauge that was like looking at how their diapers look, you know, breast milk poop looks very distinctive. And the the change over to um to formula looks exactly the same. So I feel like their digestive tract is is processing it the same way. So that's what I use. Cool. Good question. We had a woman um write to us about a baby biting who's 10 months old um and what to do about that and sort of biting out of biting out of love. Um and what I found, but I think that we can look at this as like a broader a broader theme of how do you teach a young baby to be sweet and gentle? Now, I think probably every child that ever was had some sort of aggressive streak at some point because we are animals and that is just 
uh, something that for we them, go it's through. More play based. It's, it's like more play based. But then eventually you get mad limits. and you're going to throw something and you're going to do something. Well, you you're you're going to play. You don't have any self control. <laughs> you're like, I am angry in the moment and I am going to express that in the most violent way possible. Yes. Um, but what I found really well, or what I've found works really well, is. Um, like for example, Romeo has has started, you know, his whole hitting phase earlier than my other ones because guess what? He has gotten like pounded by his older siblings from time to time. Maybe it's out of love, but he's just like, I'm angry and I'm going to hit you because that has happened to me. But what I find is the more that I'm like, no, we don't do that. He's going to open his eyes wide, look yep. at me, and then he's going to hit me again. Because we're hardwired to get attention. Exactly. But if you go up to him and you say, no, suave or soft, 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 and you like, you wrap his like little belly and his arms, and then you have him do it as well. Little by little, they start to go to that. So basically like modeling good behavior, preventing them from practicing the bad behavior as much as you can. And, and don't be hard on yourself because they probably will do it because we all did it and everybody who came before us all did it. Um, but the more that you can model sweet behavior, the better um, and prevent them from not practicing the bad behavior. I find that that works pretty well. As your kid gets older, something I've been doing um, with my kids is having them teach each other. I'll say, be a good teacher and teach them not to hit by using your words. And I find that it does take a while but little by little, you know, the first time they're going to raise their hand and they're going to hit their sibling. The second time they're not the second time, but like after a while, they're going to raise their hand and they're going to like sort of think about it, hesitate. Then they're going to hit the, their sibling. And then little by little, they start to raise their hand. They think about it and then they drop their hand and they're capable of using the words. But the more that you can teach your child to use their words, they can use that as their tool rather than their body. I loved it on an earlier podcast. You talked about how with Leo, you you told you talked to him about teaching um, Romeo how to be nice and teaching him how to be kind. And then it, it actually was as much a learning lesson for for your three-year-old as it was for your baby. And you saw him really internalizing the lesson even more so as he was tasked with teaching it to his younger sibling, and which I think is really powerful. And it's amazing because they, like, little kids, they love to have, like, jobs and tasks yeah. to do. And so it's like, all right, your task Free range. is to teach them how to do this because he's a baby and you're a big boy and you get totally. to do this. That's so what I see with my kids, too. They they definitely, the more that they feel that distinction between big kids do X and mm -hmm. little kids have to learn how to do X, they definitely want to fall on the side of big kids. And then when they mess up, just be understanding. Yeah. You know, just be, because they're going to, which gets us on the to the next one. that much damage. I know, right? Baby. Well, no, my God. With three boys yeah. in the house. Let me tell you, Daphne. <laughs> May you have three sons. My, I know. I haven't had that. <laughs> you have two yet. more. It gets kind of it gets kind of wild. <laughs> this brings us to the next question, which is staying patient while our kids are melting down. Daphne, what do you do? Ah, this is a great question because I, I think it really it just goes to the point of of when we've talked in the past before about like your mental state when you're being asked to handle something and too much too soon versus, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a calm headspace and you've had a lovely relaxing day, then dealing with a tantrum is not that, not that difficult. If you are already stretched thin and it's been chaotic and you feel like you just need your kids to cooperate so you can get your stuff done, it's really hard to remain patient and remain present in the moment. And I think um, the one thing that, that helps me is to think about how I would respond seven days out, a year out. If it wouldn't be a big deal a year from now, why would I make a big deal about it now? And again, that's that's something I aspire to practice. I don't always like keep my cool head on. Um, but I, I do find the like the one really sort of impactful thing I can share is 
you see that when you rise to their emotional level and you get really fired up and really crazy or upset or, you know, lash out, it doesn't make things better. It just prolongs the tantrum. It prolongs the, the, the like emotional instability and, and upset. And it makes the, the, you know, not only do you then have to deal with their tantrum, but you also have to deal with their hurt with them feeling like nervous about you being so upset. I mean, and the then whole them doing what you did back exactly. to you in the future. I exactly. mean, it just keeps on, it ends up being a bigger problem. And, you, and it, but if you lose your cool, give yourself a break because trust me, we all lose. Of course cool. we do. Last night, Carmen was having like a major meltdown. She was tired and she's at that, that funny age where she's still a little kid, even though she's like, she says, I'm a medium kid. I'm a medium kid. <laughs> I know she's too. very, very That's particular so about it. And I'm like, okay, sure. But it's so important for her. And she just got like upset about all these things that really, and for us, for like adults, we were like, oh, please, like this is unnecessary. And she was just tired. And it was the end of, you know, the end of Thursday, which Thursdays I feel like are really long. And um, and she just like went into her room and she went from before being like, you're the best mommy. I love you. She always says this. She says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm always going to love you for the rest of my life. It's like the sweetest thing in the world, like hugging, kissing, everything to like going in her room. You never love me. I just want to be loved. You never hug me. You never kiss me. And I'm like, wait, no, no, not factual. This is not factual. But she just gets like, you know, super, super angry. And I to be honest, I can remember times when I was little. Where I did exactly the same thing that nobody loves me and I'm so under misunderstood. And uh, to be honest, I also I look at some of the my kids don't watch that many shows, but some of their shows, I mean, even look at like some of like the princess movies and stuff like that. It's always like they go off into the woods and cry and this <laughs> it's and nobody a lot gets of it. melodrama. It's happening. such it's such that. And so that's definitely feeding them. But um, but basically, like I always when she's doing that, I give her a minute. And then I will tell her, I, I'm, I'm stern. I'll say, you know what? What you're saying is not true. I'm sorry that you don't feel good right now. And I'm here to love you. And I'm here to give you kisses and all the things that you want. But you must be nice. You must be nice to me. And you kind of just say these things. You, you defend yourself because you want her, I want her to have that voice as well. I want her to be able to say in her future life when somebody is, I'm sure, going to you know, say something mean to her at some mm -hmm. point mm -hmm. or say, hey, you know what? You can't talk to me that way and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. I can do this with you and I can be nice to you and we can have a reasonable conversation, but you can't do that. Well, I think sometimes your kids do forget you're human too. And it's nice. We've talked before about like showing your children your emotional response to things sometimes. When you cry about something or you're excited about something or you are upset by something, for them to see that you're not perfect and that you have emotions and that sharing and, and being comfortable in your emotions is a good thing. That's really important for them to see. And likewise, for them to acknowledge, for them to see that what they say to you can hurt you too and, or make you sadder. Um, I think that that is a, actually a really powerful way to appeal to their emotion because clearly their tantrums come from an emotional, not a rational place. Right. So to appeal to their emotional side, but I think it's a really them powerful freedom. response. It gives them the freedom to just not feel well. And she she will say to me sometimes, mommy, sometimes you feel sad and you just don't know why. Yeah. And like when I have those moments with her where she's able to articulate stuff that even as adults, a lot of people just don't get. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, something is going right now. But also what I find for, you know, keeping yourself calm, which was the, the original question, is yes, I mean, as Daphne has said, and we've talked about on a lot of other podcasts, it's so important is having perspective in the moment of being like, okay, I know if I say this later on, I'm going to feel really bad about it. But 
also, you know, if I say this is not okay and I'm using those words, it's actually calming myself down as I'm saying it. Mm. So to say the irrational in a moment where somebody else is being irrational actually keeps you from losing your you know what? Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. Just just try lots of deep breathing and and realize that we've embarked on this journey where our kids are, they're gonna really test us a lot of times. And the more patient we are, but firm, and you know, not letting them you know quote unquote getting away with things and stuff like that. But just being like, hey, you know what? Let this is the lesson that needs to be done. I can love you through your struggle mm-hmm. with that lesson. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten some questions about um, conceiving after after a loss. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've experienced after having um, two miscarriages back in 2019 is that it's so common. You know, fertility struggles are so common. I mean, I have, I've had three chemical pregnancies over the years, and I've had um, four babies, and then I had um, two back-to-back miscarriages that were completely unrelated. You know, it wasn't something where um, – you know, like, oh, well, you know, this is wrong. So this is why it happened. They were kind of just completely um, different. You know, the first one, the heartbeat wasn't right at the beginning. And I could kind of wrap my mind around it because I was like, all right, I haven't had a, you know, a real miscarriage before, um, especially one after having the heartbeat. Um, and then, but then the second one losing, losing um, uh, the baby at, at 16 weeks, that was a very different um, pill to swallow. Um, but you know, I think about getting pregnant again and I think about what that experience is going to be like. I've been doing a lot of therapy. I've been talking a lot with some of my friends. I've um, I've done some writing about it. Um, I've cried a lot. And what I've decided is even though I know that it's going to be hard and I'm going to have my freak out moments, I'm sure, is that I don't want to put myself through being really, really f-ing scared. Like I don't want to do that. I want to get to a place where I can appreciate a pregnancy like I appreciate appreciated my pregnancy before. Not to say that these two miscarriages haven't changed me and I'm not going to have my moments where I'm like super nervous, you know, every single time you go to the bathroom, you're like, oh my God, am I bleeding? Or every single cramp that you get or every single scan that you get, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be moments where I'm going to be really scared. But in those moments, I want to identify the fear and be able to say, I don't want to be afraid because I know it's not going to make the situation any better. And all of that fear, all those feelings, I really want to work on in the most proactive way so that I can heal through them and not stay in my, you know, cycle of dra- of uh, trauma. So, I mean, I would say somebody told me something once and I've, every single time I say it to somebody, it, um, it makes them laugh and it made me laugh, um, which is trying is the funnest part. Um, so again, like have fun trying. Um, and then again, just realize that, you know, if, if there is a medical problem that somebody can diagnose, then work with that and wrap your mind and your reality around that. Um, if it's something that nobody knows why, I mean, I'm somebody that I go to acupuncture. I'm a big believer in acupuncture. I'm a big believer in looking how I'm stressing at, you know, how I'm eating, how, you know, am I stretched too thin? You know, what is my body telling me while these, you know, bad experiences are happening? Um, and, and then, you know, just, just give yourself a minute because, because, you know, the, the moment that you're not pregnant after you have a, a loss, you start to heal and then you can start to hope. And that hope can bring you into a really amazing bond with a future child. Um, so, I, I mean, I say, B, 
be really aware of how you feel. Be really aware of your emotions. Talk about them. Address them. And then decide how you want to live your next process. Like whatever pregnancy, if and when I have that pregnancy, I want it to be a really great experience, you know, as best experience as I can. And if I'm like just tearing myself to shreds, um, then I feel like it will be less so. What do you think? I thought that was beautiful. I think you, I mean, I, I think that trauma and grief are are very intimately intertwined, like you just said, with hope. And I think that the being able to um being able to see that that there are two sides of the same coin is really just that's life. It is it just, is life. And we have to once we embark on this thing called motherhood, man, it can hurt sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Let's do. Let's move on to getting into running. How about good-looking tits while you're running? Oh, okay, okay let's get into the boobs first. I got boobs. Let's get into the boobs first. Uh, there, you know what? One of the most common things is bras. So, Daphne, talk to us about boobs. No, we wanted to. Everyone wants to know about your boobs since they always are like under your chin, even while you're running. Talk to us about okay, how they so look this so is, good while this you're running. Is, okay, this is what I do. Well, first of all, okay, so I posted on my Instagram the other day that like, cause like my boobs like get like I'm sure like all of you guys while you're breastfeeding you get like out of control. And they're like absolutely like amazing and like perky and full and all the kind of stuff. And then also with like the, um, Aren't you know, it's painful though. I feel like sometimes when I get like very full, it's painful. Let me get into that. <laughs> but first, let me get into how they look. <laughs> pain is beauty, ladies. Pain is, pain is beauty. <laughs> no, I mean, what I find as well is that, you know, the, the calories that you're burning while you're breastfeeding, you know, give you this like can can give you this uh, like very interestingly shaped body where like exactly yeah. where your boobs are like really big and like my for me when I'm like working out and you know breastfeeding a lot um, I think they say like every ounce of milk is like 20 calories I, I always heard like 500 calories a day like something crazy. something I mean it depends on how much how yeah. much milk you're making but um but yeah so you know you you think about that but I people always tell me that I've had a boob job right they're like oh Ilari Baldwin went out and got it boob job right after she had a baby. And I'm like, I'm breastfeeding, crazy person. Um, and then I'm always like, just you watch until the, I'm done breastfeeding. You then you're going to see them. You're going to see them get saggy and non-existent. It's going to be so sad. <laughs> but then I'll be able to show you. I'll be able to prove you I'll wrong. show you. I'm going to show, show you when I've got beagle ears. I'll show you. <laughs> when you see beagle ears, that's so funny. That's a Michael Simon special. Oh that God, is all so him. so funny. Um, but basically, okay, so what I do when I'm running, um, by the way, now I do this whether I'm breastfeeding or not breastfeeding just because I find that my boobs have just gone into a whole new level in life like a whole new phase in life um, is I wear a bra with underwire not one that is too tight by the way because that is just like especially if you're breastfeeding recipe for mastitis and it's horrible and then I'll put on maybe multiple sports bras on top of that so if they're like really like in the breastfeeding zone, I'll put like multiple sports bras on top of that. If I'm like in the state that I am now, um, you just need one sports bra and it's like totally fine. We got it. But I just don't like any kind of like movement because it makes me uncomfortable. And I find that you know, like a lot of people say don't wear underwire while you're breastfeeding. I have not found it to be a problem. And I find that I need the like a little extra support right. and lift. If not, it's just painful. No, because running while breastfeeding is always like very painful. Multiple to me. sports bras. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will, I will say, um, I, I like this trick of yours and I think I, it's shocking to me that a line uh, uh, that like as easy as it is to just create that extra lift, it's actually, 
I find that looking good when you're working out is actually part of the puzzle. Like you need you need good workout clothes. You need a good fit on your sports bra. You need to feel comfortable. And I love this little trick that you have. And then I, I, I know that the follow-up to this question was actually, you know, how do you begin running? How do you like start? Because I know that, um, I know you're an avid runner and I I do run when I can. I it's It's such an efficient workout and it's also a fun one if you're exploring a new place. Like I, I'm actually envious. My husband, John, it was, you know, did track in, in college and stuff. And he loves to run. He views it as a very meditative process. And he like, whenever we're away in some, you know, random place, he like goes for a run. And that's how he starts to see the city, see the place, get a, get a feel for it. So I try to approach it in that light of like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to be in fresh air. Obviously, a lot of people run on the treadmill, but like the way I like to run is I run in, in fresh air. I run and I see the world. I run and I like zone out a little bit. And um, for me, it's really about I know you have a whole breathing technique that I want you to talk about because it really it makes so much sense to me. But for, for me, it's actually just like new songs, like great music actually music is, is the most. I, I run sometimes on a podcast, which is the first the first time in my life I've ever done that. And it's like I listen to The Daily, which is a news podcast or I'll, I'll listen to Do Hidden Brain. Do you listen Brain. to Mom Brain? Mom brain. Wait wow, there's an second. idea. <laughs> Listen to yourself while you're running. Yeah, there, yeah, we're running, running, running. Um, but anyway, I just I find that like keeping my brain occupied. Uh, weirdly, I thought that someone talking at me would actually make it go slower because I've been such a, so committed to good music. But having really interesting, short, tight format, well constructed podcasts like like the quick news burp, uh, blurbs and things like that has actually it distracted me enough to get through my run, mm. which was really good. Oh, I love that. And don't push yourself too far because then you'll like be out of commission for a week and that's the worst thing you could possibly do. Correct. Slow and steady wins the pace. That's actually true. We follow. But you have your breathing thing. Oh, this is my breathing thing. Okay, so my theory with running is that um, it's not actually our body that is so tired, but it is our lungs and the panic and the, the upsetness that we get with the experience of running is from our fear that we are going to suffocate. Um, so really think about that when you're doing your next workout, when you're doing your next cardio, is where is the discomfort actually coming from? Usually it's coming from the burning of your lungs. And what I learned, because I have asthma that I haven't had to use an inhaler for in about, like, I think 16 years. I think the last time, I'm 36 now, and I, last time I used an inhaler, I was 20. Um, and part of it was getting rid of dairy. The other part uh, was learning how to breathe better. And it, it was the same time that I started doing yoga, which is all about breathing. So this is basically the idea. You should breathe in through your nose and not your mouth. So inhaling through your nose gives you a filtration. There's a filtration um, set up in your nose. And then you're pulling it all the way down into your lungs. It also does another thing, which is your lungs have to actually work harder. Your lungs as a muscle, they have to work harder when you're pulling air through your nose because pulling air through your mouth is the fastest and most lazy way to get oxygen in. So if you're inhaling through your nose, not only are you filtering the air um, and so preventing that very like dry throat and like that burning in the lungs, but also you're encouraging your lungs to work a little bit harder and then they will get stronger that way. You can exhale out the mouth. So this is what I suggest that you do. Start running. Inhale only through your nose. You can exhale either through the nose or the mouth. The moment you feel like you have to inhale through your mouth, stop running and start walking. Try to continue to inhale through your nose. If you have to inhale through your mouth, don't be hard on yourself. 
And then once you find that you found the rhythm of your breath again, inhaling through your nose, you can start running again. And be really patient with this process. Don't focus so much on the time. Don't focus so much on the length, the space, or sorry, not the space, the distance. Don't focus so much on those things. Little by little, if you focus just on your breathing and your lungs, then you're going to be able to do a full workout. Be consistent about it. Don't do it once a week. Try to do a little bit most days. Um, and try to have a little bit of fun with it. I mean, it's it's kind of, it's a challenge and it gives you something to focus on. You know, as Daphne was talking about, I am a big music listener when, I, when I'm running. Um, and I've done some of the podcasting. I find the podcast things, I get like so like on another planet that I find that all of a sudden I'm like running like, very slow. <laughs> but like, I think that's just me. With music, I'm like, tong, tong, tong. You know, it well, wait, what's, I'm, I'm actually really curious about that too. What's the logic behind, because you? I feel like you sprint run. Like you run very fast and you're I not run fast, so tall. But so I, no, I'm not so tall. No, I will run when I'm in, when I'm in my running shape, you know, and I've done this so many times from having so many babies over the years because, you know, obviously I stop running at some point in the pregnancy and, um, and then I don't run for a while and I get out of that kind of running shape. Um, and then I start running when it's appropriate after I had the baby. So I have to do this same thing and start really, really slow um, and be patient with my body. And then, but staying consistent with it, all of a sudden you can, your body takes off, your body knows what to do. If your body is treated right, your body is going to behave in a certain way. Um, I, I will typically run when I am in that sort of, you know, more, more top shape, um, not right after I had a baby or while I'm pregnant, I will run for 30 minutes. I do four miles in 30 minutes. Um, and I really enjoy it. I mean, it is my freeing time. Um, but at the beginning it is really hard because my lungs are really burning and telling me that I'm going to suffocate. And it's not true. Like, obviously you're not going to suffocate, but, um, but that, that feeling is, is scary. So, but you run, you run your 30 minutes and then I know you, I know you have, you like to do bar classes and stuff. What stretching do you do then to make sure you don't get injured, to make sure your like muscles don't get so tight? So what and I'm short? doing in, in my best in my best world, if I had all the time in the world, which I do not, I would run 30, I'd run 30 minutes, I'd end up at a bar class. Then I would either walk or quickly or, or jog over to a yoga class and then do a min, an oh, really? hour. Like in my best world, That's me, fitness dream. nerd, right? Fitness Got nerd. Believe, like again, this is what I've dedicated my life to. Like I love to move. Yeah. That has not happened in like at least seven Six years. years. <laughs> exactly. No, I think since I was pregnant with Carmen, um, that has not happened. Um, one day it will happen again, but, um, but it's, it's absolutely fine. In the meantime, I don't have time for that. Um, what I find is like, that's what I do on my, on my Instagram is I have my sort of found moment workouts where mm -hmm. I'll take a minute and I'll stretch. I'm always listening about it. Like, oh, my back feels funny. Let me stretch it out. Um, I'll do a little bit of a stretch right before I run. Um, if, when I get to the class, there's some stretching involved in the class. Um, afterwards I'll stretch a little bit and now I'm doing something where I'll do yoga right before bed. I'm kind of like forcing myself to do just a little bit of stretching. Mm -hmm. It might be like 10, 15 minutes of, of like down dog, planks, up dog, chair pose, you know, all, all these different poses. Um, and I find that it's allowing my body to really release into sleep a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I've been really enjoying doing it. I broke my hip when I was 25 and I do get like a lot of sort of tightness and, and different things just from how they cut the nerves. Um, uh, cause I had to have a surgery for it. Um, and so it's something that I'm constantly like having to, to tend to. Um, but you know, I mean, basically it's cardio, it's strength training and it's flexibility are the magic three, um, 
that you that you really want to that you want to be focusing on. And a little bit goes a long way. I mean, as we say, I have said a, a lot of times, doing something is better than doing nothing. And if you're consistent about it, your body will take off and, you know, you'll look back a month later and you're like, whoa, look at what I'm doing. It's just you have to do it. Let's talk about eczema. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk. There's a lot of questions both for, for mommy and baby um, in terms of sensitive skin. Um, I, you know, Daphne has all of her like coconut hair mask stuff that she does um, <laughs> that can sort of soothe the scalp. Um, my son, Leo, um, had has and but had worse eczema when he was now he's three when he was a baby. Um, and it was very upsetting because I was trying absolutely everything. I tried emu oil. Yeah. Like yeah, I tried absolutely. absolutely everything. And I found this product I think my called sister did that when she was a baby too. You, with, with, with emu, emu oil. oil. Mm-hmm. I find, I found that it didn't, like things would work for a little bit yeah. and then stop working. It was like drying 100% using really, really gentle, um, soaps. Um, Vanna cream is, is one that's good. If you guys have, um, a kid with eczema. Um, Vanna cream, the the wash I use, and then as their diaper cream, and as um as any kind of cream for their body, I use Waxeline, which I am absolutely obsessed with, um, and it's just incredible. I literally like you guys know by my big fat Greek wedding and like yes. how it like sprays everything with with <laughs> Windex. <laughs> this is literally my version of Windex. I literally think that Waxeline can solve any problem, um, out there. So. Um, you know, try it out. I mean, I think a lot of these kinds of things is trial and error. What works, ex- what works specifically for you? Um, but it's sort of the drying and the gentleness, and then just constantly moisturizing. You know what's interesting? I mean, I uh, knock wood, but I, I don't personally deal with eczema, and I'm not. It's not in my kids, but but I um, people do ask. I feel like it's popping up all the time, and it's much more prevalent now. And I get asked the question a lot, even still. And I feel like a lot of my friends deal with it too. Um, and you know, eczema, it's inflammation. So it's actually about what's going on inside diet. your body and your diet and even going back to like leaky gut syndrome and all of this. So it's really interesting, like topical. Of, of course, there are things you should do. And and one of my best friends in the world dealt with it. And she was, it was always interesting. It was like vitamin D apparently is one of the best therapies for it. So when she would go, she would actually have, she was told to go to tanning booths. Obviously, you would never do that with your child. But like go get sun exposure essentially or some you know substitute for it and it would be a, a real healing thing for her. Um, again, this is secondhand knowledge from what she was told. But but certainly being out in actual sunlight was supposed to be something very good and healing for um for eczema. But what I find really interesting and you guys like if you if you just Google um eczema protocol there's a dr mark hyman has like a whole protocol for it that is really interesting and all about healing internally first and foremost and then and then a couple different um essential oil companies like i know doTERRA does it i'm pretty sure young living has it there's like a couple different i think tea tree oils um one sort of version for topical treatment but then there's a couple ingestible essential oils that you can consider for yeah for like Mm. healing from the inside I'll i'll have to look at that for him um my a lot of people will write to me. They're like, "Oh, you should cut out dairy in his in his diet." And I'm like, "He doesn't eat dairy." Yeah, eat dairy. Um, but, but like dairy be- meat, like people will say stuff like that. I mean, I just think I think it's just that his skin is more sensitive and needs to be and needs to be treated uh, differently. And maybe if we lived in a different climate, um, his skin would be his skin would be different. And it's definitely gotten better. I brought him to a specialist um, and he told me, he said, this is going to be, this was like two winters ago. He said, this is going to be the last hard winter. Just watch. 
And it's really true. I mean, huh. in terms of how it was like that extent, I mean, these were like, I would just look at him sometimes, especially when he was like a little baby and he had diaper rash. And like none of my babies had diaper rash ever, ever, ever. Um, one thing also, if you guys um, have a baby with really sensitive skin, when you change their diaper, rinse them off. Maybe not if they pee, but when they pooped, rinse them off. Use like a little bit of light soap. Mm -hmm. Like if you, and people are like, oh my gosh, that's so like over the top. And I'm like, if you pooped on yourself, wouldn't you wash your, your butt? Like, I think you probably would. And what I found that it made the world of difference with him. Whereas before with Rafa and Carmen, I mean, they have such like easy skin that I would just wipe them with wipes. Yeah. Like, like most parents do, put more cream on, put a diaper on. Whereas now Romeo, even though he has very easy skin, I do the same thing I did with Leo because I'm like, wow, if this was like eroding whatever acid was in the poop was eroding his skin so much, like I'm sure that that's not great for Romeo either. And it takes two seconds. Like I just like literally turn the water on. I have a soap there and like I'll just like rinse him off a little bit. I don't even take off his shirt. It's just like keeping keeping his pants off. So um, you're the so that human bidet. It's like a human it. bidet. It's I a like bidet. It. No, I do that too. I, 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 you know, you know, if you're at home, it's definitely something easy of to. Of course, take like care. if you're out, I yeah. mean, like you don't yeah, have yeah, an yeah. option. But like as soon as you get home, that's um, that's what it is. Good All right, guys, thanks for listening. This was so much fun. Please continue to write us mombrainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Follow us behind us on YouTube. Um, and and spread the word. Subscribe, do all that good stuff, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, we love you guys. We love you guys. Bye. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.